Hey there, it's Jason. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, where the mission is very simple. It is to improve always in all ways. Look, I am on a mission to create the absolute best version of myself. And through the Jason Wright Show, I let you know everything I'm doing to make that happen. I interview incredible, remarkable, brilliant individuals from all different walks of life. And I also try to bring you tools, tactics, and protocols that will help you in your own personal mission to improve always in always. Now, let's get started. Happy Friday, everyone. We are back with Dr. Gus for another Authentic Health Friday. Fridays are devoted to improving your health always in all ways. And Dr. Gus Vickery has agreed to come on every Friday and do these installments for no other reason than to help you and I navigate our best health. All right. So I want you to also look at the show notes. There are everything we talk about in this episode, which is related to gut health. Dr. Gus has included a basic protocol for gut health and to support the ideas and methodologies that we discuss in this episode. Also, I'm including, again, his link for the free course, no cost to you whatsoever, of toxins and how to start repairing your gut lining and improving your overall health. One of the points that Dr. Gus makes in this episode is that the gut is foundational to all of our overall health. So check those show notes. They are very detailed. It gives you everything you need to know. You've got access to Dr. Gus's free course and keep coming back every Friday where we are going to dive into these topics on better health. And if you have specific questions, please email me or go to the jasonrightnow.com or improvealwaysandalways.com. Take you to the same place. Fill out that contact sheet and ask questions about cardiovascular health, brain health, weight loss, you name it. Bring us the questions and we will bring you an episode with Dr. Gus and his incredible breadth of knowledge on this topic, and we will do everything we can to give you the information you need to improve your health always and always. Now, enjoy this episode of Authentic Health Fridays with Dr. Gus on gut health. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, everyone, and as promised, we are back with another Friday episode with Ask Dr. Gus, uh, Authentic Health Fridays. I don't know if we've really nailed down an actual title for this, but I can tell you this. We are going to be talking Authentic Health. I'm going to be joined by Dr. Gus. We're going to be answering your questions, and as promised in last week's episode, we are going to be covering gut health today. So I think anybody listening, uh, this is a topic that impacts each and every one of us. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring my buddy Gus on there. Hello, Dr. Gus. How does today find you, sir? Today finds me quite well, Jason. Thank you very much. It's good to see you again. Well, likewise, man. And this is um, already, I'm going to back my camera up a little bit. I, I feel like I'm like all up in everybody's grill that's watching this on on YouTube. I don't want them to be like, dude, you're coming in hot, Jason. Let's see if I can back that off just a little bit. There we go. That's better. Wow. For those of, for those of you who are listening to this on uh, on the podcast, I'm surprised you didn't feel the uh, feel my 
filming. It's like my hair tickling your ears. I had the camera like so zoomed into my to my grill. So, all right. So, Doctor Gus, we're talking gut health, and this is a cool topic for me in particular because I knew very little to to nothing about gut health, and not only did I not know about it. But just what a vital part of the overall health system it is, not just from your your neuro health to your immune health to your mitochondrial health. So much starts in the gut, right? Indeed, it does. It's uh, foundational, which is why we're actually starting here. We had so many different health topics we could cover. And as you and I both know, one most people be like, well, why are you not starting with weight loss? Which we Oh, yeah. We actually did, but why not go deeper into that? It's because actually the number one reason you might not, you might be struggling with losing body fat will likely be found in your gut. Right. Right. We always have to fix gut first. The gut ties directly into the immune system and the nervous system. They all develop together in a little tube structures that are side by side in the embryonic stages. And it's like, they're so close together. So as your gut goes, so you go. And because of changes in our environments and our food, our guts are having a very hard time adapting to something that's very different than what they spent, you know, tens of thousands of years experiencing. So it's really important that in your daily approach to health, like how you align habits and how you think about how you're caring for your body, that integrated into that is how are you caring for your gut? So I guess that kind of, you've kind of started on this path, but my first question that I had for you was what role does the gut health play in overall well-being and how does it impact other aspects of health? Like you talked about that. You talked about weight loss. You, we've talked about your, your brain. How are some of the ways, you know, and I know, and by the way, just so the listener knows, we're going to go much deeper. We're actually going to teach, you know, you've developed a course on this. So today's going to just give people, I hope, an understanding of things, of why they really need to think deeply about their gut and how all of us probably, to some degree or another, have some deficiencies. So with that in mind, how does it work? How does the gut link to some of these other aspects of health that you mentioned? Yes. Your gut obviously is one of your primary interfaces with the external environment. In fact, the inside of your gut is considered the outside. It's outside your body, even though it's inside. And uh, I know that sounds bizarre, but it's actually true. So it's where we are able to take everything into our body, water, nutrients, salts, calories that are going to be utilized to maintain the entire health and the, the structure and function of our human system. And so it has to be working properly for us to be able to get that information into our bodies. At the same time, it's not just ourselves. It's trillions of microorganisms of diverse types, bacteria, viruses, fungi, protozoans. Some we may consider parasites, but in small amounts play symbiotic roles, yeast that are all working together in this infinitely complex ecosystem to maintain a balance of not only the uh, nutrients and conversion of nutrients and things that they need, but that our body needs and our gut needs itself. And then to the extent that it's, you know, potentially, well, you know, in the process of how it works, we have this direct immune system interface that's very proximal to our gut. And so if our gut isn't working well, one, it's going to affect our ability to digest food. 
and absorb nutrients. That's critical. Two, if our gut isn't working well, which includes pancreatic function and biliary function, we're not going to be able to detoxify our body properly to get things out of our body uh, and, and poop them out and, and clear them from our system, including fats and cholesterol molecules and uh, things that we're, our body is trying to get rid of. And then if there's damage to the gut, it's going to eventually impact the immune system. So we have all of these autoimmune diseases that have direct gut correlates. So lupus, ankylosing spondylitis, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and on many skin conditions, acne, acne, rosacea, eczema, who we have, where we have clear correlations to gut dysfunction. Not always, every time is it a gut dysfunction issue, but it often can be. And then uh, with the biome itself, all those microorganisms, there are certain species of bacteria or fungi or yeast or parasites that can overgrow. And some of them are what we call pathogenic, meaning they cause disease. They shouldn't be there. And they can begin to create problems, not just gut issues. And then there are some that are supposed to be there, but if they're overgrown, have direct tie-ins to neurodegenerative diseases, connective tissue diseases, skin diseases, eye diseases. And a part of this is the oral biome to the actual mouth, because we're kind of destroying that with a lot of our oral care products and fluoride and things like that. And that really is part of the whole process of how this operates. So essentially, it affects everything. And you'll see in the brief case study we walk through that some of the ratios of the different types of bacteria have a direct influence on your metabolic health, blood sugar and an ability to actually lose body fat and greatly increase the risk of obesity. So one of the things, you, you kind of touched on the immune system, but one of the things that's really fascinating to me that I would like to, before we get into our case study, and by the way, folks, you know, fasten your seatbelts. We're actually going to walk through a, a case uh, that's indicative of what you might see whenever you go to a physician like, uh, like Dr. Gus and, and some of the things, some of the information that you're going to receive. But Here's a question that uh, that I someone gave me that I want to that I was like yeah I want to learn more about this as well. There's a lot of talk about the gut brain connection. How does gut health influence mental health, and what strategies can these listeners use to improve both their gut and mental well being? Which I think is pretty apropos to your practice, uh, Doctor Gus, because not only do you help gut matters, and that's something that you're an expert in, but I know you have a complete protocol for both gut health, which these folks are going to be able to have access to, as well as brain health. So what is that connection between gut and brain? Well, it's it's primal in a sense. It, it develops very early. And our nervous system, we have an enormous amount of nervous system development proximal to our gut, which includes nerve endings, nerve bodies. And then neurotransmitters and the various ways that uh, our nerves are communicating with both themselves upstream to the brain, but also the body, all kinds of sensory apparatuses that play into the nervous system. And that's because the nervous system, the brain is sensing what is going on in the gut because of how critical what's going on in the gut is to the health of the entire organism, us. And so this sensing we already discussed to some extent when we discussed body composition optimization and how the, when it comes to the food that's coming in, the most important sensors have to do with nutrients, not calories. 
amino acids and essential fatty acids and how if the brain is not sensing that we're getting what is sufficient to maintain structure and function, it drives hunger, it drives eating behavior. And of course, that a lot of, uh, not all craving and urges and running after food, some of that's somewhat addictive type behavior, but a lot of it's actually driven by nutrient insufficiency or deficiency. And it's amazing what happens when you fix that. But a lot of your neurotransmitters that mediate like, the whole way that your brain is communicating and making, in the end, decisions that are being ultimately fed down into the rest of the organism and that are also directing how we think and feel about things are actually based in the gut biome, both metabolizing neurotransmitters, but also helping to create neurotransmitters. And some of the nutrients that we would use are that to make neurotransmitters are actually directly modified into a form where we can use them by the gut biome. So it, it, I could go really deep on this and then have everybody get a little bit uh, overwhelmed by the amount of intricate detail of how these two systems connects. I think it's more important for the average individual. I'm one of those raising, busy raising a family and how do I stay healthy? To just understand that there's this incredibly important symbiosis between how your how healthy your gut is and how healthy your brain is and your own ability to actually the way you want to or behave the way you want to in response to your thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that I have really become sensitive to lately is the impact on what I eat and my mood. You just mentioned it. Like, I, I just had uh, Lori Anschluter, if you're listening to this, you make the best red velvet cake on planet Earth. I'm telling you, guys, that stuff is amazing. No no one makes red velvet cake like my grandmother did, except Lorianne Schluter. And she brought me some leftover the other day, and it was fantastic. And one of the things that I get nervous about now when I eat really sugary stuff like that, which I don't do very often, especially baked goods, those are some of the worst, is my mood suffers. It may not hit me that day, but with that sugar high and then the low, the next day, it's going to have an impact on my mood, my energy levels, my... Sorry to be crass, but look, we're talking health. My bowel movements, it's going to jam me up. It's just, there's, you can tell there's definitely a, a reaction whenever you put the garbage into your body. And whenever you start to realize what, what makes, what your body likes based on its reaction to it versus what it doesn't like, you will actually strongly consider, you'll consider with more, um, precision exactly what you put into your body so that at least that's something yeah, I, I mean because a lot of times the bad the worst you know and you could have red velvet cake that was made with all natural ingredients probably wouldn't taste quite i don't think it'd be as good as Lori. <laughs> or the texture wouldn't be quite the same but a lot of that what you feel has to do, uh, to do with the various toxicants and artificial ingredients that have permeated our food supply to trick our brain so you know, these chemical emulsifiers that are synthetic, the fillers, uh, the preservatives, the added sugars, that's just designed to trigger your dopamine system and make you run after more and dysregulate your own eating behavior. But also, uh, the we'll get into this because we'll be going to toxicant next, but the herbicides and pesticides and many other things that are on the forms of wheat, flour, and also in many of the other ingredients and what they're directly doing to your gut lining and your gut biome when you consume them. And what you're experiencing when you experience this distress 
is the effect of basically poisons that you've put into your gut. So that brings us to, and like the, the next question I had, which was, what are some common signs or symptoms of an imbalanced gut? And when should someone consider seeking medical advice for gut-related issues? Or at least, so let's just say that I'm somebody that I've decided, I don't know if I have issues or not. I just want to have it checked. I go to Dr. Gus, kind of what's that, what's that protocol going to be? What are you going to be measuring? And I think that you've actually got a case for us to take a look at to, so the listener can kind of understand what a physician such as yourself would look for. And even if they don't go to see you as a physician, when they go to their physician, what they should be, the questions they should be asking. So are we ready to walk through that case now? Yeah, we can walk through in just a moment. And just to answer the question, big picture, with the disclaimer, I'm not dispensing medical advice. I'm not telling any listener whether they should go see their doctor or not see their doctor regarding a symptom. My default position would be if you have a consistent symptom that's bothering you, go see your doctor and get a proper evaluation. And I routinely refer my patients to gastroenterologists for colonoscopies and upper endoscopies and additional studies, depending on some of the findings I see on these gut reports or the symptoms they're reporting to me. There's definitely a role, as we discussed in our last podcast, for this healthcare system to play in doing diagnostic workups and making sure we're not missing the, the potential life-threatening diseases, even those that develop slowly or those with more significant medical implications that might need medical treatment to stabilize them before you go, wow, you work on how you fix them through the things we're talking about. But the typical symptoms that would say, hey, you need to go and get an evaluation would be any form of persistent abdominal pain that's significant enough for you to feel like it's affecting your ability to, whether it's eat or just engage in life or it's waking you from sleep. It doesn't matter if it's up or it's slower if you have abdominal pain and it doesn't go away within a couple of days or a week, you probably might consider at least seeing a primary care physician to discuss it. Uh, significant changes in bowel habits that are sustained. So commonly people will be diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. Those are usually gut biome disruptions and things in food. And so it doesn't just have to be managed medically. But if you're having issues like you've had normal regular bowel movements and suddenly everything's loose or mucousy, or you're having crampy pain with them, and that's going on for weeks, it's not going away, you need to get evaluated or you suddenly become constipated and you can't have bowel movements because sometimes that can be a mass or a polyp. Consistent blood in the stool needs to be evaluated. But it goes so much deeper because a lot of the signs and symptoms that could be due to a gut problem, but maybe not one that needs a colonoscopy, have to do with skin, as I mentioned earlier. Skin inflammatory conditions, itching or pruritus, dermatitis, acne rosacea, eczema, psoriasis, a lot of those start with gut issues or at least nutrient issues being impacted by the gut. And then headaches and migraines. And then, of course, the classic stuff like chronic acid reflux and uh, pain in the chest from acid reflux. If that's going on for weeks and you can't seem to get it to go away, you probably need to have someone take a look and see if you have a structural abnormality or if you have overgrowth with certain bacteria. So again, it could go on as a long list. For most people who are healthy, if they'll start to follow a basic protocol to maintain gut health, and th then they probably aren't going to deal with a lot of those issues. Well, and, and one of the things that you made me think of there, does gut health ever relate to just allergies or like I grew up with asthma? Can you, can sometimes you kind of curtail some just 
regular, like what most people think of as just hay fever and allergies, if they can get their, their gut biome in order? Yeah, it can. And sometimes it's gut biome stuff. A lot of times that's food sensitivities that have developed, though, due to other issues, meaning your gut gets chronically insulted by glyphosate, Roundup. Now, it's what we call hyperpermeable, the usual integrity of the gut has been impacted. And certain food components that maybe you wouldn't have had a sensitivity to are now in interfacing with your immune system and happens long enough and often enough, eventually you end up with a food sensitivity or an outright food allergy that you develop. And now that food is what's creating the allergic symptoms. And that's a little bit of a different category. Sensitivity and allergy are two different things and they're addressed differently, but the gut absolutely can play a role in uh, the development of all of those issues. And certainly, uh, you know, the vast majority of gluten intolerance, it, which isn't all celiac disease, that's a minority of it, uh, has to do primarily with how the glyphosate is all over our wheat. It is, since, is basically damaging the gut and then allowing the gluten proteins to interact with our immune system. Okay. All right, so are we ready to show this case? Mm-hmm. All right, so... Yeah. Pull it up. So, all right. So now, what are we looking at here, Doctor Gus? All right, Doctor Gus, tell us what we're looking at here. Yeah. So this is a, a, a comprehensive stool-based gut report. These are the ones I'm using on my patients, and have been for the last year and a half. Prior to that, I used to different companies, and I. I just need to preemptively say that this is a really complicated report with an enormous amount of data, and it could kind of fritz your brain out real quickly. You don't need to let that happen. One, this isn't designed so that a normal consumer of healthcare is supposed to be able to figure out their gut. This is designed for professionals who train on how to interpret these reports. And so I'm going to be pointing us to just the big picture of what we can learn from this gut report. The other thing that I just have to make crystal clear is all this gut work we do to some extent, it's what we would call preclinical, meaning we're out here on the frontiers in health because of how critical this is for health. But we don't have a whole lot of big randomized controlled trials to say, oh, yeah, this is the protocol for this or that. What I have are hundreds of case studies with data where we create these interventions that are scientifically based and then measure results and see improvements. So it's just important to kind of keep that in mind when we look at all of this. But I'd like to show you this. This is a, a report on a patient of mine who is a big-time health influencer, right, who has a, a big platform and people come to for coaching and advice. And great person, uh, a close friend, and really a healthy individual, but had been struggling for some time with just not feeling as good as you'd like to. And also blood markers that suggested high levels of what's called oxidative stress. Something wasn't right. But, and I found it was like, let's go get some deeper data and, and see, because we're probably going to find it there. And this is an individual because of their platform. They travel a lot. They speak a lot. So they're having to go to hotel rooms and eat out at the hotels and meet people out for dinner. And so they're not able to maintain as good a control of their you know regular environment as they would like. Um, but that's just part of their lifestyle. And they weren't net applying a gut protocol consistently, which they immediately acknowledged is like just a mistake when they saw this report. So when we look at this, the first thing we're looking at up here at the top 
these are big, big picture ratios, and these are actually quite important because this is mapping out all the individual bacteria. It's going to change very quickly, but these numbers don't change quickly. And so these indexes are measurements of gut diversity. How diverse is your gut? Because the more diverse, provided it's not a bunch of bad guys, the better. And you can see on both of these indexes that her gut diversity is significantly reduced. If you go over here, you'll see F slash B and P slash B. These are ratios of what are called the phyla of bacteria. The phyla are the big classes of bacteria, and we have pretty good data to suggest where should they fall out from a ratio standpoint. Now, this is one that I see 90% of the time on a average consumer who isn't reporting gut issues, but is coming in for a comprehensive health workup. And it stands for formicutes to bacteroidetes. You don't have to remember this. There's no test. Ratio. It should be less than or equal to 0.9. Hers is 3.1. This is a lean, healthy, metabolically healthy individual. And yet this ratio is way out of balance. And what's the, the, the potential influence of that? And we have a lot of data on this. Significant increased risk for ret retaining fat, gaining weight for both adult obesity and childhood obesity, and immune system imbalances with inflammatory response. We have a lot of data. So this gut finding here sets this person up to have difficulty losing fat, possibly gaining weight, blood sugar issues, and inflammation, which is what we were identifying on her blood test, not the blood sugar issue. We're not going to look at these gauges. They list a lot of things here. These are just all the probiotics she's actually deficient in. These are bacteria that protect your gut that you want to maintain high levels. And the big list, I'm not going to go into them. You can just see that there's a broad-based deficiency in species like bifidobacterium and lactobacterium or lactobacillus that are really important at protecting your gut, which we commonly see. She also has deficiencies in special little forced dyes like bacillus coagulants. And we see overgrowth of a bacteria called Campylobacter, which is actually a pathogen causing a problem right now, but it could cause a problem. So we have pathogenic overgrowth. All of this is, these are all ways of looking at the inflammatory response of the gut. Is there something causing the immune system at the gut level to, to be activated in a way that we have chronic inflammatory response? And you can see of all of them, she has two that are pretty high. And of these two that are high, they're really important and they indicate chronic response and typically what's called your innate immune system, which means they're, they're fighting against something. And I'll commonly we'll see even more inflammation. Then we get down into digestive function. Pancreatic elastase is how we look at your pancreatic exocrine function. That's digestive enzymes. That's how you, the pancreas' role in helping you digest food and break it down so you can absorb it. It should be over 500. This is a pretty severe deficiency. This is an individual who's not actually probably digesting food very well at all. And then we get into, these are bile acid metabolites. So if there's issues with the biliary system, we'll commonly see it here. And then short chain fatty acids, which are really important, what we call postbiotics produced by your biome. And she has some deficiency in total short chain fatty acids with borderline low butyrate, which is important. It's very protective of the gut to maintain higher levels. And then we get into specific immunological markers. And what we see is that her, what's called beta-glucuronidase is very high. This is an enzyme. And when it's 
active. It's actively taking bound toxicants and unbinding them. And it's due to overgrowth of specific species of bacteria. So if I showed you the toxicant panel that she collected within 24 hours of this panel, you're going to see that this person who's always on these biohacking protocols and has access to all the great products was riddled with toxicants. And a lot of that has to do with her gut is actively breaking the toxicants back off of what they were bound to, and then it's resorbing them into her body. And this has a direct, this is directly due to overgrowth of certain species of bacteria. And then zonulin is a protein that's in the uh, gut wall, the gut lining. And when it's high, it should not be high. When it's high, it means that the gut lining itself is being uh, impacted and integrity is not good. And the gut is what we call hyperpermeable, meaning now we can end up with all these things that shouldn't be interacting with our immune system or interacting with our immune system, causing what we're measuring on her blood test, which is elevation in inflammatory cytokines, inflammation, and oxidative stress markers, and a person who we shouldn't see that. Now, this is where we get into mapping out the entire biome. We're not going to go through all of this. I'm just going to show two things. She has very low levels of acromancia, which is a mm -hmm. bacteria that if it's low is associated with weight gain, difficulty losing weight, and that zonulin issue. And then overgrowth of this one here and then she'll have overgrowth of many what we call anaerobic bacteria that are considered normal, like this E. coli and this actinobacter and then others. If I went through the whole report, you would see it. So big picture, I can sum this up. That's a lot of information I know. Big picture, what this person has is what we call gut dysbiosis. She has an unbalanced microflora with overgrowth of bacteria that are directly impacting her detox pathways, but also impacting inflammation and gut, gut wall integrity. She has low amounts of the bacteria that would actually balance that out and be protective, and she has overgrowth of a pathogen. And clear evidence that this situation in her gut is actually causing her active inflammation and damage to her gut lining. If this goes on unattended to, like we did this looking for her, not because she reported gut symptoms, but because she had findings on her blood test that weren't explainable by other factors and because she could clearly feel that energetically she had been impacted. We didn't do this because she has irritable bowel syndrome. But if this had gone unattended to, one, she would have continued to have inflammation and oxidative stress, and she would have continued to struggle with fatigue. But eventually, this was going to turn into a really big problem uh, and potentially, uh, you know, ulcers in the stomach or serious nutrient deficiencies from maldigestion or overgrowth of a pathogen that could cause terrible diarrhea and terrible bowel inflammation or an autoimmune disease or an inflammatory bowel disease. Now, on the other hand, the good news is now that we know it, we can fix it. And that's what we're doing. And it's not that hard of a fix for as complex as that data is. We just design a protocol to address the gut diversity, to prune back the bad guys, to improve digestive function and get the gut wall repaired. And it works. I wanted you to see this is just par for the course. Like, the number of times that I see someone come in with minimal findings on an initial gut survey, it's non-existent. Everybody has it. Now, once we 
fix it, it looks a lot better, never perfect, but a lot better. And then once they establish a routine for how they care for their gut and they make it part of their lifestyle, it tends to stay pretty good. Like we'll see shifts in the bacterial ratios and we might play around with probiotics periodically, but we don't see all that inflammation and digestive dysfunction, overgrowth and zonulin, like all that stuff goes away and stays away. And that's critical because the impact on your systemic health, on how you feel mentally and physically, on your future disease risk is massive. I can't overstate the impact downstream of not dealing with this stuff. So now let's get into it. I know we're not going to go into full-blown detail, but first of all, I want to back up where that started. That's from a healthy person. That's the Mm -hmm. gut of someone who is, who makes their living being healthy. I don't know who this is, audience, but I mean, just based on like you all heard the same thing I heard from Gus, that this is someone who their, their calling card is their health and they have gut issues. So to that person that's out there fighting hypertension is metabolically challenged, they're, they're, they're red in the cheeks, then, you know, have breathing problems, energy problems, whatever the case, uh, brain fog. Imagine what getting your gut biome sorted out would do. Now, I know in my simplistic knowledge of it, what I would do is I would focus on that bifidobacterium and acromantia and start trying to build that gut lining back up, which, but you have an entire protocol for something like this, but I, I got to believe that not all, we're not, all, you know, it's not universal. So someone like this, what does a, and people hear, uh, so Dr. Gus puts people on a gut restoration protocol. What does that entail? What supplementation is involved? What nutritional uh, steps are involved? What does that mean at a high level? Yeah, it's a great question. So first and foremost, yeah, in this particular case, I have specific data so I can design a specific protocol that's going to be most precise and most targeted. And, uh, you know, that acromantia, sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. So not everybody needs to take an acromantia probiotic or use a protocol to grow acromantia. So we don't want to really get into that level if, you know, ag- if, if testing your gut and getting your own data is just something that isn't likely to happen, then we need to stick with what are the things that would allow a gut to restore itself over time? What are the variables you can introduce and that you would maintain on an ongoing basis that are going to give you the best benefit? For those who are interested, then getting the data would be a good idea, which again, we can talk about other paths for doing that that don't necessarily all involve like working with me because I couldn't see everybody. But well, real, working- real quick though, Gus, for, for people that want to hear that, what do you do? Is there a kit that they buy and what is the expense? It's not terribly expensive, right? Well, that test is, you know, a $500 test, something okay. of that sort. It's a, it was a stool sample, right? The stool specimen. So how does, what logistically, how does that work? Logistically, how does that work? Is something sent to the person by mail? Yeah. Yeah. Now they wouldn't be able to order this one directly because this is designed to come through health providers. We'll talk about how that could work in a moment. But yeah, they send a kit, you know, the kit's ordered by the clinician. They send a kit. It has instructions. It's really easy. It's just gross. There's a morning that you have a, you have a little apparatus you put on your toilet bowl, you collect your stool, you scoop it into two tubes, and you send it off in a, in a FedEx envelope. So it's a gross, but an easy process, and then the data comes back. Uh, the ways we order these kits for people, and we work with people remotely who are interested. 
And typically what we do is through a, a health coach who's trained in interpretation and knows the protocols. And what they do is they, you know, you pay for the cost of the test and then you pay for the time with the health coach, um, which is usually an hour, maybe an hour and a half, something of that sort. So if people are interested, that's certainly something they could, uh, you know, come to our AuthenticHealth.com website and put in information regarding interested in gut testing and health coach. And we'd be happy to help them do that. Um, yeah. And so th there's ways of getting that done, uh, if that's what you want to get done. Now, in the meantime, there are things we could start doing, right? That would start fixing this data potentially mm -hmm. that would be really good for us. And that was the more important point of your, your question, I think. So it's helpful if you break it down from according to the different like functional elements of what that test was covering. Cause ultimately that looks like a whole lot of like, Oh my gosh, we got this and this and this and this category and all these markers. End of the day, it's actually quite elementary. We've got digestive function. Are, are we capable of managing uh, the breakdown and assimilation and absorption of what we eat? We have uh, gut wall integrity and immune health. Like, is the gut lining solid? Does it have good integrity? Can it play its role? Can it defend? Can that air, can it defend the body? against things getting in that shouldn't get in because that's a very important part of the gut. The biliary system, biliary metabolites. Are, are we able to flow bile and detox and take care of fats and absorb fats and things of that sort? And then we uh, have the biome, right? And what's there that shouldn't be there? And then what's the balance and diversity of that overall biome? So we look at that in categories. To me, the first one that is critical, critical, critical they're all critical, but it's just digestive function. You know, like, can you actually get the food that you're eating broken down? Because you're actually feeding not just you with the food you eat, you're feeding your biome. And that's really important. And a bunch of the nutrient insufficiencies we see on our micronutrient reports, which are done around the same time as these tests, are directly attributable to those biome issues and the digestive function issues. So rather than having to put them on eight different supplements to fix eight nutrient deficiencies, let's fix digestion and biome, and then you're going to be able to actually process those nutrients normally. So with the digestive function, the first principle is always mindfulness of eating, period. Slowing down, stopping to eat, chewing your food thoroughly, tasting your food, sensing your food, letting your brain begin to know, hey, we've got food coming in, it begins detecting that on your tongue and with mastication and with enzymes and things that are secreted in your saliva. And it begins to already prime the digestive system for the work to be done based on the information that's come into the mouth area. So it's always the, the first principle is mindfulness of eating. I would just, if you don't have time to eat properly, um, well, once you're in good health, I'd rather you just not eat. Mm. Just don't eat. Pop some amino acids, you know, drink some water and salt and go on and wait till you can actually give, deliver the food into your body in a way that helps your body rather than harms it. Um, does that make sense, Jason? Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things going back that I just want to make sure this audience understands, because I didn't for years, I would hear gut biome, gut biome, gut biome. And when all of this became front and center, explain to the audience exactly, because we have multiple biomes throughout our body. You've mentioned it. We have gut, we have all these different biomes, what is the biome, a biome? 
We have an we have an oral biome, okay, which is our mouth, which I really connect to the right? It's part of the whole thing, right? And then we have a skin biome that is, which is critically important, which is why using hand sanitizer all the time is not protecting mm-hmm. you from infection, possibly saying you have to get more infection, except when you're in a hospital environment where there's lots of what we call nosocomial or possibly infections that you can pick up there. Even there, you can overdo it. So the the whole biome itself, if you just take into all the skin surfaces and then the gut and the mouth, that's all external, right? Everything from mouth all the way down to your anus is actually considered the outside environment as long as it's contained within that big long tube. And then all of your skin is external. And those are your barriers to protect your all your protoplasm and cytoplasm and stuff just like getting in. But they are absorptive surfaces, both skin and that. So if you just collectively take all the areas where bacteria and fungi and protozoa should be living in symbiosis with this, that's called the holobiome. And taking care of the holobiome is critical. And the principles we're discussing here are part of taking care of the holobiome. With the skin, it's, of course, the same stuff. And we can do skin another time. But it's don't use antibacterial and antimicrobial agents on your skin. Don't use toxicant-laden products on your skin. Don't get sunburnt, but don't avoid the sun altogether. Don't roll, don't do your grounding in fields that were sprayed with toxicants. Do it in actual like earth soil that's healthy, but then do your grounding, be barefoot and play in the dirt. Get your hands dirty, get your hands in the soil. Play with your pets if they're healthy and look, this is gross, but let them lick your face a little bit. It's actually really good for you. Uh, farmers historically, regen- we can say now regenerative farmers, people who don't use all the chemicals and have healthy livestock and carbon recycle, they have some of the healthiest biomes you could ever imagine because they are so in the earth and among the earth and with the livestock and things of that sort. So taking care of your whole biome is critical. It will make a huge difference in your health. You are interdependent with all these tiny little critters that live on and in you, so to speak. But that's really the totality of the biome is what covers our skin and external services and then what's in our gut. Everywhere else, we're not supposed to have this stuff floating around in us. Well, and that's one of the things too, that I think that things become part of pop culture and pop health Maybe I just coined that pop health. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take credit for that <laughs> pop health, you know, kind of like bro science, right? And when Stephen Gundry and some of these guys brought, started really getting the whole leaky gut situation, when people mm-hmm. hear that, they, I don't think they think about it in the terms that you just said. I didn't that, well, what the hell does that mean? Leaky gut? What's it leaking into? Does that mean it's just, <laughs> I don't, if you don't really understand. Most people think that they need to go get depends if they have. Right. It's <laughs> like, where, what's wise, what's going on? Because most people, I think, like I did at one time, they consider their gut as internal. If it's in my gut, it's in my body. They don't think of the fact that there's this entire, that our, you could describe this better than me, but like, getting the wrong inflammatory signaling things through our stomach and into our bloodstream can actually, that's when we become inflamed, right? That's whenever this stuff gets into the parts of the body that we, it gets on the highway that we don't want it onto. So it's got to stay and only keep the bad stuff out with a good, strong gut lining, let the good nutrients in that do the good things that are those, those, I guess, what would that be a type two macrophage or M2 macrophage, whatever you want to call it, that kind of cleans up and does this thing. But doesn't carry this inflammatory stuff all over our bodies. I I had no idea 
that whenever you're healing your gut, you're putting up a barrier so that these things that cause inflammation aren't carried truly into the parts of the body where they don't go. And just looking at the whole biome, with, and like right now, that's why I've got all this hardware in my mouth. I'm really with a 48-year-old with braces is because I'm going to take care of my teeth because I know my gums are a gateway from the outside world into my body and is one of the strongest indicators of bad health. If you have bad gums and bad oral health, it can lead to cardiovascular disease, all these different oh, yeah. things. Right. The so periodontal, anyway. the periodontal stuff and the oral biome is so critical. The tie-ins yeah. to dementia, arterial disease, and other conditions is huge. I recommend my patients. There's a biological dentist near me that they go and get their oral biome tested as well and, and let him do his thing to them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Those are things that I've just learned along the way. And so now, and, and, and kind of backing up again, just going through the whole protocol. So I would say, and I'm not a physician, I, don't, I certainly am not going to give any medical advice, but one of the things that I know I want to start doing more, uh, I've started doing in recent years, and you and I still have some work to do on this point, is just at least finding out where I am. Go get the, the screenings and the tests and everything done so I can see where I am. And then from there, like this patient, you're able to look and there's some glaring deficiencies that you can look at and tell this patient, hey, you need to take you need to take some steps. You don't have to, but you need to take some steps. So if I'm that patient, if if we just went over my case and it looked like that, kind of what are we going to do then? What are you going to say, Jason? Here's what you need to do to start fixing these problems, to get that greater diversity, to strengthen the gut lining. Is it all going to be supplementation? Is it going to be nutrients? And how are we, how am I, as just a, a lay person that wants to get up and go eat and not worry about this, what does my life look like to get things in order? And how long is it going to take before I go back to see you? And you're like, okay, yeah, you're doing the right things. Yeah, well, first on the kind of what we can do side, it's it's the same stuff we'll be talking about over and over again. I mean, people can get maybe tired of hearing this. You've got to start caring about what's going into your body and what's getting up. Body. And that includes air, water, products, and food, and more. But if you are just in a place right now in life where beginning to choose organic, nutritious, whole foods is not likely to happen, then you're going to have a continual, just kind of a continuous assault on your gut and on your body in general. And it's going to be a real challenge. You can apply some of the principles or all of them that we'll talk about here in a second. And you can help mitigate that damage. But at the end of the day, every single time you go and you eat food that has pesticides, herbicides, and fillers, and all that, and added sugars, and highly processed oxidized oils, you're basically taking your body backwards. Now, once you get it healthy, and this is something you'll hear a lot too, once you get into a really good healthy state, you'll have the freedom to periodically just do that and not worry about it because your body will handle it just fine. You won't mess yourself up, but you got to get back to that baseline of health. So the first things are the mindfulness of eating and, uh, you know, we could go on, we could do a whole episode on that, the chewing thoroughly, the thinking about your food, tasting your food, sensing your food, slowing down, letting everything work the way it's supposed to. So you don't over distend your stomach and dump more in there than it can handle and then have all kinds of problems like acid reflux and bloating and maldigestion. The second thing would be using some digestive enzyme support. Um, a lot of people are like, why would we need that? Well, actually most carnivorous animals will periodically try to eat primarily the small bowel and the stomach of an animal they kill. Why? Because they're eating digestive juices and peptides and things of that sort. So it's a, it is a, it's a sort of a principle and built into the cycle of life 
that people who are carnivorous or at least omnivorous, not people, but beings, creatures, are probably going to occasionally consume digestive support. And I put my patients on a particular digestive enzyme and they take two of them when they eat meals. And it's not expensive and it works great. And they usually find that they feel better and post-meal bloating and gas is better. Because a lot of times that's just simply undigested food pushing through and now your bacteria are fermenting it, creating all these problems. And they're also absorbing nutrients better. They're having less acid reflux. Their stomach function is better. We can get them off those medications. Um, for those who are willing to do it, I love the organ meat blends of forgotten digestion, which are actual like stomach, tripe, and small bowel that have been desiccated and placed in capsules. You can take those at pre periodically and do this. Whatever the case, you've got to improve digestive function. And then if there are biliary issues, you need to support bile. That's a whole nother category we're not going to go into because that's highly complex. Gets into detoxification. Maybe we'll address it there. And then you've got to feed your biome. Your biome has to be fed. And what are the things that a healthy biome feeds on? Well, there's a real debate on the fiber part, but I think that the debate favors fiber is our friend. So diverse forms of plant fibers are good, but this isn't the same thing as just picking up a processed bottle of fiber supplement at the store. That's not going to do it. You want food-based fibers. Now, that doesn't just also mean eating produce because a lot of the produce might have the toxicants and that's not going to be good for you. So I do like it if people are going to get all organic, if they begin to use different types of sprouts and maybe small seeds that they grind and they find ways of introducing this into their diet. And there's a lot of ways of doing that. I also am a big fan of certain types of fiber powders where they've already done that work for you. They've gone and gotten flaxseed and chia seed and plant sprouts and grain sprouts and that have natural prebiotic and postbiotic and all that. And they've ground them into a powder and it's all organic and you can just mix it in with your protein and drink it. And it's like the equivalent of you forged for two weeks to find all that stuff because it's great for feeding your gut. So there's the fiber piece. There's something called resistant starch, critical for feeding the right kinds of bacteria in your gut. What is resistant starch? Resistant starch is starch. It's like a starch, a carbohydrate that is resistant to digestion and it doesn't really feed us. We don't turn it into digestible sugar, but it feeds our biome, especially certain species that we want to grow. Some like the one that she had. Um, the best way to build up short chain fatty acids is resistant starch. What are examples of resistant starch? Half ripe bananas, like nearly green bananas are full of resistant starch. Also organic potatoes or rice that has been cooked and then cooled and then eaten cooled and it's kind of gummy or sticky or pasty, that's resistant starch. So having small portions of resistant starch can be really good for you. There is a product I like to make it easy. You can mix into your smoothie that is an organic green banana powder that we can put on our list. If, again, for those who want to just make it easy, that's what I do. You mix this stuff up and you don't have to use it every day. So we're going to feed our gut diverse fibers. We're going to feed our gut resistant starch. But we the best tool if you tolerate it well and we'll do it that has been proven in studies is fermented foods organic fermented foods which have natural probiotics i believe that's how our ancestral bodies did this other than of course eating stuff straight out of healthy soil that also had bacteria integrated into it so what are examples of fermented foods again organic non-highly processed true fermented foods would include sauerkraut kimchi miso, 
fermented kombucha beverages, and then also kefir, some people call it kefir, from organic sources, and true uh, non-pasteurized fermented yogurts. A lot of the yogurts you buy in the grocery store that taste good and they have high protein and I'm not opposed to them, but what's happened is they've pasteurized them. So they killed all the bacteria from the fermentation. Then they might redeposit some bacteria in there, but they're not fermenting the sugars anymore. So they're really just going to die quickly. So you're not really getting the probiotics. You get the probiotics when it truly was fermented the way, you know, nature designed, so to speak. And so most of the time those yogurts, and you can find them based out of goat, cow, or cashew, or coconut, they'll have a very tangy feeling on the tongue. That's that uh, you know, that's that's where you know you you kind of got that true fermentation, acidity with the actual probiotics in it. And there's actually you know some guidelines around this in the studies. That's having one to two diverse different types of fermented foods a day, and having just a couple of few tablespoons of them, each one, whatever they are. So, if I was trying to maintain my gut on a regular basis, I'm going to eliminate the things that damage my gut, which include all the toxicants and emulsifiers and bad stuff that's in the food. So I'm going to start eating more natural whole foods. I'm going to have diverse fibers, forms of resistant starch, and fermented foods layered into my habit routine. And that generally should maintain a healthy gut, provided you're not actively damaging it from stuff. The first two foods to eliminate for sensitivities are always gluten and dairy. For most people, those will be the two culprits, but there could be others like soy and peanut and corn and others, but gluten and dairy are the first two to go to. When I test out most people who have these findings on their gut with a blood panel for gluten sensitivity, 75% of them already have significant gluten sensitivity and they need to get off gluten. And when they do, it's crazy how their skin conditions go away, their headaches go away, and they feel so much better. Again, it's more of the glyphosate or Roundup that's all over the sources of gluten that's the problem, but neither here nor there. Once you have the gluten problem and your immune system is reacted, you've got a problem. Get the gut healed, maybe you can tolerate small amounts. So it's really straightforward. Give the gut what it needs and keep out what's not good for it. Then when we, and and it needs also, this is important to remember, it needs fatty acids like omega-3s, critical for the biome and the gut itself. So making sure you have dietary sources of omega-3s or supplemental source of omega-3s. It needs the phospholipids, right? And all the other nutrients, B vitamins and fat soluble, all the things we'll talk about in nutrient, your gut needs those as well. Vitamin K1, very important in the gut. And then um, it needs protein. It absolutely has to have protein. So you need to get adequate amounts of amino acids to the lining of your gut and to your gut biome. And that means you have to be able to digest that protein. So eating all these different types of foods, not all every day, probably protein every day if you can, but all these different types of foods, rotating them into your diet, finding your sources is critical. And that sounds like a lot, but honestly, once you establish the habit, it's not. You find those two or three fermented foods that taste good to you that you're like, oh, I can do this. Maybe it's organic sauerkraut and a particular type of uh, true non-pasteurized yogurt from coconuts or something. Now you keep those in, and kombucha, let's just say. So you keep those in your fridge and you drink three or four ounces of the kombucha. And then later that day, you eat a few tablespoons of the yogurt, right? The next day, maybe you eat a couple tablespoons of sauerkraut. That's all you do. 
you're either incorporating a lot of high fiber, diverse organic foods in your diet and maybe eating a half ripe banana or <laughs> eating cooked and cold potatoes, or you're making a smoothie every day and you've added a little resistant starch powder and you've added the fiber powder. Yeah. Now you've done it. And then you make sure you're getting the adequate nutrient sufficiency in your diet or your diet and your supplementation plan. Now you're taking care of feeding your biome and feeding your gut. It's generally going to stay healthy. Then we get into how do we clean up the mess? Well, that depends on the mess you have. But as a general rule, there are botanical options for this that do, in fact, begin to prune back the bad guys. And what happens are bacteria, they, film, they form what are called biofilms. And these are good and bad. The bad guys form their own biofilms. And these films are in there coating the gut, protecting them from, and allowing them to overgrow and creating problems for you. Those are bad. And meanwhile, good guys are building good biofilms, this mucousy layer that's actually protecting you. And so we want the good biofilms and not the bad. So there's a botanical product I use in my patients. It's not expensive. It's very well tolerated. And they take it for a couple of months and that clears the biofilms and it prunes back those bad guys. So it has a lot of stuff in it. I won't name it all, but wormwood and oil of oregano and olive leaf and all the things we know can actually have an antimicrobial effect for bad guys at the gut. So we prune it while we, while we reseed it, either through diet or usually I'll go ahead and do a probiotic stack for a couple of months based on the findings on the gut biome. If you weren't going to do that, I don't think you should take probiotics all the time, but if you were going to, and we'll put this on the resource list, well, you'll want is a broad-based lactobacillus and bifidobacter-oriented uh, probiotic and one that might also have a couple of the additional species that are commonly deficient. We'll list one on our notes so that if you're interested in some sort of maintenance probiotic that maybe you take four weeks out of six or something like that or one month out of two, just to make sure you're periodically reseeding those bacteria, that would be an option for you. All right. That was a lot. That was like a monologue. So let me just back up for a moment and big picture it. We want to improve digestive function. We want to keep the stuff out that's killing our gut. And we want to put the stuff back in that it needs. And there's a lot of ways to get that done. Most of my patients just use a protocol I've created for gut maintenance. This is different than the protocol I designed for this patient where we actually used peptides and colostrum and all kinds of extra tools so we could fix her gut more quickly. This is more of a, this is what you do over time. You don't necessarily every day, but a certain number of days of the week so that you keep a healthy gut. And that's what's going to be in the show notes that so people are interested. In. And it sounds like in the, uh, the hierarchy of strategies, the first thing is just start eating clean food. That's okay. it. Right. Yes. And, and that's one of the things too, that I probably for years, I mean, Jimlin and I have really gotten pretty inten intentional with the organic foods that we weren't, but we pick and choose. And oh, I do want to ask you that. Okay. Let's say that someone is out there and they're like, I just, I don't want to spend the extra money. So therefore, Gus, will you just tell me those things that I just have to have that are organic? For example, Jimlin read somewhere that strawberries absorb more pesticides and stuff. They're just like little sponges. So if you're going to do one thing, at least get your strawberries organic and then just work your way to 100% organic. But is there a hierarchy of? Yeah, there is. And this is easy to find and you can link it. It's the Environmental Working Group, www.ewg.org. Okay. And they used to publish what they called the Dirty Dozen. Now it's like the Dirty 14. Okay. And it's basically those 
foods that you better buy organic. Like you're okay. really going to torture yourself if you don't. I'll be honest with you though. I've gotten to a point where I think you should be 100% organic. And if you are, it's going to, you're going to end up spending less money because you're going to need a lot less food when you have a healthy gut and healthy body. You don't have to eat nearly as much and you're going to spend a lot less money on Pepsid and Nexium and ibuprofen and eczema cream and all this other kind of stuff and going to the doctor with IBS and migraines. You're going to spend so much less money over time. By just simply maintaining a healthy gut and healthy body. And real quick, can you talk, because I didn't know this, man, I grew up with major acid reflux and all this stuff. Before, I thought it was like, just that's who I am. I, inher I inherited yeah. it. My dad always had it. It wasn't until I took control of my eating and my gut health and all that. Now, I rarely ever. If I mm -hmm. have reflux, I know it was self-induced. I know yeah. that now. Um, but will you talk a little bit about how unhealthy those over-the-counter meds are for you because i didn't know that till recently it's like now i'll do anything to not have to take zantac or prevacid or any of those oh, yeah. yeah so first and foremost if your doctor has placed you on those medicines regardless of what i say here you keep taking them and go talk to your doctor about this do not stop them because of what i say so medicines like uh what we call h2 blockers i'll just talk about the class that includes ranitidine thimotidine to, uh, to uh, it, the, you know uh, I think cimetidine, tagamet back in the day. Those are histamine blockers. They block specific histamine receptors and they basically limit some amount of the gastric acid production. So they can work okay for, oh, I overate and I got a little bit of heartburn or regurg, or I'm going to go eat spicy food tonight and it always gives me heartburn. And they're not like going to destroy the gut, uh, but they're not great for it either. The next level up are called proton pump inhibitors. And that includes a lot of different medications like Prilosec, Nexium, Protonics, um, it's a long list. And I want to tell you that first and foremost, I was very grateful for those medications because the number of uh, acute, like life-threatening, bleeding, gastric or duodenal ulcers that I would have to treat in an emergency department or send people into the hospital for blood transfusions and emergency surgery went way down when, we, when those medicines were developed. So there's a really good use of those medications. And, uh, and so I'm grateful that they exist. What happened is medications that were prescription only and designed to treat severe gut inflammatory conditions became main mainstream as, oh, here's how you just address your heartburn rather than wondering why am I getting heartburn? And so I'm not going to name the company because I don't want to create liability situations, but, and he's a funny comedian who I liked a lot, right? <laughs> kind of a bull collar comedian. But he ran, he, he repped for this company and there was like an ad where he's eating a big old corn dog in front of the county fair stand thing or whatever that says colossal corn dogs. And he's saying, I'm not going to let uh, heartburn keep me from my favorite food. And I'm watching that once I had learned a lot more and I'm not judging you if you like to eat the occasional corn dog, fine. But if eating it causes you to have to take a potent gastric inhibitory medication to tolerate it, that right. might be a sign. Your day with colossal corn dogs has come and gone. Right? Like it's just time to let them go. They're not helping you anymore. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is where we've gotten. Is that now we have a trusted comedian? He doesn't know. I'm not blaming him for any right. of this. Uh, but a trusted comedian saying, "Go eat this food and just take this medicine, so that you don't have to deal with the pain that you that is from your body telling you you're killing me with this food." Right. And it's yeah. like, it's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to unwind this mess? Because 
what ended up happening is people were like, oh, I have heartburn. I'll just go pick up one of those medicines. This is a big gun medicine. It's shutting down basically almost all hydrochloric acid production in your stomach. Well, that's not just for digestion. It actually helps maintain the stomach lining. It protects the stomach and maintains a sterile environment so you don't get overgrowth of certain nasty bacteria. And the dumping of that acid into the small bowel where it's buffered also plays somewhat of a role in the same thing. And so when you begin to suppress stomach acid chronically, you get what's called atrophy of your stomach lining. It begins to thin. Your digestive function is reduced. And your ability to actually digest and absorb nutrients goes way down. You, you mess up your gut biome. You destroy your gut function over time. And what would happen is we'd have people on these medicines. I did this for a long time. Oh, you've got a heartburn. Here you go. We'll start you on this. Hey, it worked. Great. And now, uh, one year later, yeah, that was working great, but it's not working anymore. Okay, the next, the next step was double it up. All right, so now you're taking one morning and night. Hey, that worked for three months. Next step is add back something like uh, Pepsid or Zantac. Then they go back to the gastroenterologist and they scope them and they're like, wow, we still see some inflammation. Let's add more. And it's like, when does this stop? Yeah. <laughs> like, when do we back up and say, maybe our first step was the wrong step? Maybe we should have changed our diet and stopped eating one, foods that create acid reflux, and two, eating them so fast and eating them close to bedtime and then laying down, washing them down with a carbonated beverage, whether that's a soda or a beer, and then laying down where we're clearly going to have acid reflux. So, the medicines, again, for treatment of severe upper digestive issues, I like them and I still use them. I have occasionally someone who comes to see me and they might be relatively new. And I realize quickly based on things that I think they have an ulcer. I send them for an endoscopy. They do. We treat it. We use the medicines. We get the stomach healed. Then we wean them off and get them on the right things to prevent the ulcers. So I know that was long, but it's critical to understand those medicines should have never become over-the-counter maintenance medicines to address heartburn. That was a bad use of these medicines. Well, and that's one of the things that I think the gut, again, as you, and for everyone listening, the, as, this will become second nature. And the, one of the best parts, one of the, my favorite parts of, and, and not, not that I have reached any level of, you know, I don't know, body mastery or anything like that, but at a minimum, when you start to adhere to these healthier measures and tactics, you just learn your body and you just learn, to, you, you're, you listen to the signals. You don't, you don't just think like I once thought that, well, I've got acid reflux or heartburn. That's just hereditary. So it's, you know, no, that's your body. Even if it is hereditary, it's your body speaking to you saying, what are you doing? And that's why for those of you listening, whenever you crush a box of donuts, a Coke, and then later on you have a greasy pizza, when you start putting those things in your body, you can take, so, your body will take so much. Our bodies are so unbelievably resilient. But when the reflux starts happening, when all that, it's like a sputtering car engine. It's like there's so much gunk and we just stop. You're, you're, you are, it's telling you <laughs> we hurt. And then whenever you take that to the next level of, like I said, when we first started, mood, energy levels, sleeping, it just, I'm telling you folks, it is a gift you can give yourself besides like we talk about health span and all, and all that. Just being so in tune with your body to be able to just wake up and go, there's a little something wrong. I need to call Gus. You know, that's what I do. I mean, there's something going on. Don't I don't need to go get a thermometer. I don't have to go. I, I just know because I'm in I'm in tune with my body. I think that's one of the greatest things when people start adhering to these protocols and just doing these healthy measures. 
you realize, and you, and I, and maybe it was you and I that had this conversation or it was someone else. I just said recently, you really don't know how bad you felt until you start feeling really good. Right. Yeah. And, and to me, that's the greatest gift of all. Yeah. We talked about it. We want to yep. create that virtual reality chamber where For, people yep. could experience what it could be like. Um, and you know, that's a great point, Jason, because it all cycles in on itself at the end of the day, you're eating foods that feel good to you in the sense that they taste good and maybe they give you some dopamine, maybe a, sli a slight endorphin kick because you need some relief from your stress. But then the foods actually are causing gastric distress and other issues and impacting your sleep and affecting your nutrients when causing you to now feel more stressed and to feel worse. And it's a cycle. Well, I guess a cycle I've been in, right? So I'm, I'm not sitting here again on the mountaintop uh, as a guru teaching everybody how to climb the mountain. I'm still climbing it and I've been climbing it for a long time, but thank goodness I started that climb because comparative to where I felt as a burnout resident working a hundred hours a week and not really knowing how to take care of my body at all. And we kept, as complicated as this is, we kept it relatively elementary, to be honest with you. We could go a lot deeper on this gut stuff we want, maybe in the course, but we didn't even get into how stress is directly impacted. Well, and that was one of the, the questions yeah. that I actually had on here was- Oh, that, yeah, stress uh, and sleep. But if we yeah. do that, I think we'll just overwhelm people. I think the thing you want to start with is I need to support digestive function, mindfulness of eating. That's going to help a lot. And maybe some digestive enzymes. We'll put a recommended product on the list. Um, I need to care about the food that I'm putting into my body. Stop putting stuff in or at least reduce how much I'm putting in that's probably directly damaging my gut. And then while I'm eating it mindfully, and two, let me start giving my gut what it does need. The fiber-resistant starch, the probiotics, and um, the various nutrients needed to maintain it. I would start there. But yeah, stress impacts it, sleep impacts it, all everything's impacted. Well, maybe we'll have to do a, a gut part two, just kind of like non-invasive non protocols. Not that anything you, we talked about today is really invasive, but I don't know. That's that's for your big brain to figure out. We'll uh, maybe we can go on some things. Just maybe just some um, environment, uh, you know, daily actions. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But either way, well, I think you're right. We have gone pretty deep here, even though we stayed high level, which is what we want to do. And, and folks, our goal is to check the show notes. They're they're pretty intense, and I'm going to keep making them intense. And eventually, uh, hopefully by next week, since we're on a rhythm now. Uh, Dr. Gus, I will have us a page set up at um, improvealwaysandalways.com. I know on Authentic Health, there's all sorts of resources where people can go and get some really in-depth show notes and also point to that. Uh, it's in the show notes from our last Friday episode, folks. If you didn't see that, there is a link to uh, Dr. Gus's course that's free. Just, I mean, and like he said in the last episode, you got to put in your name or your email to get into it, but that's not so they can pound you with a bunch of advertising or something like that. It's just, that's just what, that's how you get into the course, but it's free. And we, and it is, uh, what is it? Four videos, Gus, four or five. I think, I think. I think it's four. It might be five. I can't remember yeah, how many are but, recorded. But you can literally, yeah. it takes this conversation to another level and it's free. And I can tell you, it got to the point there for a while, Gus, that, Anytime my mom who had her stroke and my dad who's try they they try to stay healthy as they get older and pretty much every answer I give anybody these days is is gut. It's your gut. What are you doing to protect your gut? Jimlin's grandmother, as we've talked about, when she asked me, 
questions about and I don't, if it's mood, if it's energy, I'm like, well, what are you eating? What are, what are you putting in your body? They're just, I, it's completely changed my, I've had a complete paradigm shift on what real health is as it relates to gut health. So this is well, so helpful. I'm a hundred percent with you with the addition of Toxicant. Wait till we go through a Toxicant report. That's yeah. going to be on the opening people. Yeah. Um, in fact, we'll, I'll go through the tox report of the same patient that we just looked at their gut report. And because that, one, that, there you go. Here's this high performer part of detox communities and look what's lurking. And it'll also show you why our gut was such a mess too. So it's really both, which essentially gets back to environment, which is what the big picture we would just want you to walk away with is how to program your environment and your food. And yeah. then you can fix all this stuff. I think that's a good point. I think maybe that's what we, that's a great idea. That's what we're going to do next. Next episode is going to be on toxicants because I think people need to understand what they're up against in just the everyday Western diet and in America in particular. And that's not, we're not here to knock. It's it's a, what a gift. We have such food in abundance, but it comes at a cost to our bodies. I think that's an excellent thing so that people can just figure out what they are up against and we're not shills for the organic lobby or anything, but I guarantee you when you see the data like I have, you'll start wanting to eat more organic foods. For sure. All right. Gus, this was awesome, brother. Thanks so much. And I guess until next Friday, whenever Dr. Gus is back in the house, folks, keep improving your health always and always. Appreciate you joining us. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if you enjoyed it, please consider going out to Apple and leaving us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. Also, follow me on Insta at Jason right now. And don't forget, download the Vitruvian Lab app. I mean it. I want to be your personal peak performance trainer. I want to help you improve always and always. Lastly, check out my newsletter, The Vitruvian Letter. You can subscribe at jasonrightnow.com. And until we meet again, please continue to endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out. <laughs>